The other day I bought a copy of Treasure Island on a whim. The sort of whim that compels a person not to leave a bookstore until something has been bought. And I flipped through it on the train immediately after, and had I not been already seated, I'd have been floored at how perfect the prose was. And, as you should know by now, mine are tastes that are not easily pleased. Which means this is enthusiasm you should not take lightly. With Stevenson, you could generally find a copy at even the crappiest of bookstores, which I have learned. Or you can kick back and listen for the next few minutes, which should give you, if nothing else, the stylistic gist. Good evening. It's Tuesday, the 20th of October, 2009, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. The Adventures of Prince Florizel and a Detective by Robert Louis Stevenson Prince Florizel walked with Mr. Rolls to the door of a small hotel where the latter resided. They spoke much together, and the clergyman was more than once affected to tears by the mingled severity and tenderness of Florizel's reproaches. "'I have made ruin of my life,' he said at last. "'Help me. Tell me what I am to do. "'I have, alas, neither the virtues of a priest "'nor the dexterity of a rogue.' "'Now that you are humbled,' said the prince, "'I command no longer. "'The repentant have to do with God and not with princes.' But, if you will let me advise you, go to Australia as a colonist, seek menial labour in the open air, and try to forget that you have ever been a clergyman, or that you ever set eyes on that accursed stone. Accursed indeed, replied Mr. Rolls. Where is it now? What further hurt is it not working for mankind?' "'It will do more evil,' returned the prince. "'It is here in my pocket. "'And this,' he added kindly, "'will show that I place some faith in your penitence, "'young as it is. "'Suffer me to touch your hand,' pleaded Mr. Rolls. "'No,' replied Prince Florizel. "'Not yet.' The tone in which he uttered those last words was eloquent in the ears of the young clergyman, and for some minutes after the prince had turned away he stood on the threshold following with his eyes the retreating figure and invoking the blessing of heaven upon a man so excellent in counsel. For several hours the prince walked alone in unfrequented streets. His mind was full of concern. What to do with the diamond? Whether to return it to its owner, whom he judged unworthy of this rare possession, or to take some sweeping and courageous measure and put it out of reach of all mankind at once and forever, was a problem too grave to be decided in a moment. The manner in which it had come into his hands appeared manifestly providential, 
and as he took out the jewel and looked at it under the street lamps, its size and surprising brilliancy inclined him more and more to think of it as an unmixed and dangerous evil for the world. God help me, he thought. If I look at it much oftener, I shall begin to grow covetous myself. At last, though still uncertain in his mind, he turned his steps toward the small but elegant mansion on the riverside which had belonged for centuries to his royal family. The arms of Bohemia are deeply graved over the door and upon the tall chimneys. Passengers have a look into a green court set with the most costly flowers and a stark the only one in Paris perches on the gable all day long and keeps a crowd before the house. Grave servants are seen passing to and fro within, and from time to time the great gate is thrown open and a carriage rolls below the arch. For many reasons this residence was especially dear to the heart of Prince Florizel. He never drew near to it without enjoying that sentiment of homecoming so rare in the lives of the great, and on the present evening he beheld its tall roof and mildly illuminated windows with unfeigned relief and satisfaction. As he was approaching the postern door by which he always entered when alone, a man stepped forth from the shadow and presented himself with an obeisance in the prince's path. "'I have the honour of addressing Prince Florizel of Bohemia,' said he. "'Such is my title,' replied the prince. "'What do you want with me?' "'I am,' said the man, "'a detective.' "'And I have to present your highness with this billet from the Prefect of Police.' "'The prince took the letter and glanced it through by the light of the street lamp. "'It was highly apologetic, but requested him to follow the bearer to the Prefecture without delay. "'In short,' said Florizel, "'I am arrested.' "'Your highness,' replied the officer, "'Nothing, I am certain, could be further from the intention of the prefect. "'You will observe that he has not granted a warrant. "'It is mere formality. "'Or call it, if you prefer, an obligation that your highness lays on the authorities.' "'At the same time,' asked the prince, "'if I were to refuse to follow you?' I will not conceal from your highness that a considerable discretion has been granted me, replied the detective with a bow. Upon my word, cried Florizel, your effrontery astounds me. Yourself as an agent I must pardon, but your superiors shall dearly smart for their misconduct. What? "'Have you any idea is the cause of this impolitic and unconstitutional act? "'You will observe that I have as yet neither refused nor consented, "'and much may depend on your prompt and ingenuous answer. "'Let me remind you, officer, that this is an affair of some gravity.'
"'Your Highness,' said the detective humbly, "'General Vandeleur and his brother "'have had the incredible presumption to accuse you of theft. "'The famous diamond, they declare, is in your hands. "'A word from you in denial will most amply satisfy the prefect. "'Nay, I go farther.' "'If your highness would so far honour a subaltern "'as to declare his ignorance of the matter even to myself, "'I should ask permission to retire upon the spot.' "'Florizel, up to the last moment, "'had regarded his adventure in the light of a trifle "'only serious upon international considerations. "'At the name of Vandeleur, "'the horrible truth broke upon him in a moment.' He was not only arrested, but he was guilty. This was not only an annoying incident, it was a peril to his honour. What was he to say? What was he to do? The Rajah's diamond was indeed an accursed stone, and it seemed as if he were to be the last victim to its influence. One thing was certain— he could not give the required assurance to the detective. He must gain time. His hesitation had not lasted a second. Be it so, said he. Let us walk together to the prefecture. The man once more bowed and proceeded to follow Florizel at a respectful distance in the rear. Approach, said the prince. I am in a humour to talk, and if I mistake not, now I look at you again, this is not the first time that we have met. I count it as an honour, replied the officer, that your highness should recollect my face. It is eight years since I have had the pleasure of an interview. To remember faces, returned Florizel, is as much a part of my profession as it is of yours. Indeed, rightly looked upon, a prince and a detective serve in the same corps. We are both combatants against crime. Only mine is the more lucrative, and yours the more dangerous rank. "'and there is a sense in which both may be made equally honourable to a good man. "'I had rather, strange as you may think it, "'be a detective of character and parts than a weak and ignoble sovereign.' "'The officer was overwhelmed. "'Your Highness returns good for evil,' said he. To an act of presumption he replies by the most amiable condescension. How do you know, replied Florizel, that I am not seeking to corrupt you? Heaven preserve me from the temptation, cried the detective. I applaud your answer, returned the prince. It is that of a wise and honest man. The world is a great place and stocked with wealth and beauty, and there is no limit to the rewards that may be offered. Such a one who would refuse a million of money may sell his honour for an empire or the love of a woman. 
and I myself, who speak to you, have seen occasions so tempting, provocations so irresistible to the strength of human virtue, that I have been glad to tread in your steps and recommend myself to the grace of God. It is thus, thanks to that modest and becoming habit alone, he added, that you and I can walk this town together with untarnished hearts. I had always heard that you were brave, replied the officer, but I was not aware that you were wise and pious. You speak the truth, and you speak it with an accent that moves me to the heart. This world is indeed a place of trial. We are now, said Florizel, in the middle of the bridge. Lean your elbows on the parapet and look over. As the water rushing below, so the passions and complications of life carry away the honesty of weak men. Let me tell you a story. I receive your highness's commands, replied the man. And, imitating the prince, he leaned against the parapet and disposed himself to listen. The city was already sunk in slumber. Had it not been for the infinity of lights and the outline of buildings on the starry sky, they might have been alone beside some country river. An officer began Prince Florizel, a man of courage and conduct, who had already risen by merit to an eminent rank, and won not only admiration but respect, visited in an unfortunate hour for his peace of mind the collections of an Indian prince. Here he beheld a diamond so extraordinary for size and beauty that from that instant he had only one desire in life. Honour, reputation, friendship, the love of country. He was ready to sacrifice all for this lump of sparkling crystal. For three years he served this semi-barbarian potentate as Jacob served Laban. He falsified frontiers, he connived at murders, he unjustly condemned and executed a brother officer who had the misfortune to displease the Raja by some honest freedoms. Lastly, at a time of great danger to his native land, he betrayed a body of his fellow soldiers and suffered them to be defeated and massacred by thousands. In the end, he had amassed a magnificent fortune and brought home with him the coveted diamond. Years passed, continued the prince, and at length the diamond is accidentally lost. It falls into the hands of a simple and laborious youth, a student, a minister of God, just entering on a career of usefulness and even distinction. Upon him also the spell is cast. He deserts everything, his holy calling, his students, and flees with the gem into a foreign country. The officer has a brother, an astute, daring, unscrupulous man who learns the clergyman's secret. 
What does he do? Tell his brother. Inform the police? No. Upon this man also the satanic charm has fallen. He must have the stone for himself. At the risk of murder, he drugs the young priest and seizes the prey. And now, by an accident, which is not important to my moral, the jewel passes out of his custody into that of another, who, terrified at what he sees, gives it into the keeping of a man in high station and above reproach. The officer's name is Thomas Vandeleur, continued Florizel. The stone is called the Rajah's Diamond. And, suddenly opening his hand, you behold it here before your eyes. The officer started back with a cry. We have spoken of corruption, said the prince. To me this nugget of bright crystal is as loathsome as though it were crawling with the worms of death. It is as shocking as though it were compacted out of innocent blood. I see it here in my hand, and I know it is shining with hellfire. I have told you but a hundredth part of its story, what passed in former ages, to what crimes and treacheries it incited men of yore, the imagination trembles to conceive. For years and years it has faithfully served the powers of hell. Enough, I say, of blood, enough of disgrace, enough of broken lives and friendships. All things come to an end, the evil like the good, pestilence as well as beautiful music. And as for this diamond, God forgive me if I do wrong, but its empire ends to-night." The prince made a sudden movement with his hand, and the jewel, describing an arc of light, dived with a splash into the flowing river. Amen, said Florizel with gravity. I have slain a cockatrice. God pardon me, cried the detective. What have you done? I am a ruined man. I think, returned the prince with a smile, that many well-to-do people in this city might envy you your ruin. Alas, your highness, said the officer, and you corrupt me after all. It seems there was no help for it, replied Florizel. And now let us go forward to the prefecture. Not long after, the marriage of Francis Scrimgeour and Miss Vandeleur was celebrated in great privacy, and the prince acted on that occasion as groomsman. The two Vandeleurs surprised some rumour of what had happened to the diamond, and their vast diving operations on the River Seine are the wonder and amusement of the idol. It is true that through some miscalculation they have chosen the wrong branch of the river. As for the prince, that sublime person, having now served his turn, may go along with the Arabian author, topsy-turvy into space. 
But if the reader insists on more specific information, I am happy to say that a recent revolution hurled him from the throne of Bohemia in consequence of his continued absence and edifying neglect of public business, and that His Highness now keeps a cigar store in Rupert Street, much frequented by other foreign refugees. I go there from time to time to smoke and have a chat, and find him as great a creature as in the days of his prosperity. He has an Olympic air behind the counter, and although a sedentary life is beginning to tell upon his waistcoat, he is probably, taken for all in all, the handsomest tobacconist in London.'